Good morning, everybody. Uh, today is going to be an abbreviated message since the original teaching did not record, but it's such a transitional phase in our lesson that uh, I'm going to uh, re-record uh, the basic elements of the lesson. So we're going to be in Exodus uh, chapter 23, uh, beginning with verse 20. It says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. And then he goes on to talk some more about the angel and what's going to happen. But um, this is not the first time that we have heard of the angel of the Lord. Uh, back in Exodus 14, which is the passage that talks about crossing of the Red Sea, uh, we hear about the angel of God in verse 19 of chapter 14. It says, Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. So here we have um, this angel of God. So the question is, well, who is this angel of God? And some people have speculated, is it is it just a spirit being, like we would think of an angel now, a, a created being? Um, is it just... Uh, you know the the essence of God or a manifestation of God like when he was in the burning bush uh, some people have said well this this must be Jesus you know the pre-incarnated Christ certainly there are attributes of this angel that we would typically just ascribe to uh, divinity to God um, the ability to pardon transgression and this this um, phrase that says my name is in him uh, and then in verse 22 we have a, a switch it says if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say um, it's almost the connection there saying that you know this is the presence of God uh, so God has has said you know I'm going to be there for you and then in verse 23 of back in Exodus 23 it says when my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites the Hivites and the Jebusites and I blot them out you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do as they do but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces uh, time and again we see God saying you're gonna go into this land I don't want you to mess around I want you to clear out all the people, all the evidence of these people, blot them out. Of course, it's the failure to do this that creates so much trouble down the road for them. But, you know, the the analogy that one commentator I read said, you know, it's like cancer. You can't say, oh, well, these cancer cells are in the body and they have the right to exist just like any other cell. You know, you the Israelites couldn't say, oh, we're invading this land, but, you know, it's okay. They have the right to hang around. No, just like cancer cells are not compatible with the health of the rest of the body, so these foreign, ungodly peoples were not compatible with the 
kingdom that God wanted to establish for himself with his chosen people and his rules and his way of life. And ultimately, the world would have been blessed in a way uh, that we don't even know uh, had they followed uh, God's original plan. So it says, I want you to utterly overthrow them, break their pillars into pieces. One commentator says apparently it was a thing when you conquered a country, then uh, the king would go and worship at the altar of the gods of the local people. And God says, don't do that. Just don't do that. Verse 25. It says, you shall serve the Lord your God. He will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make your enemies turn their backs on you. The question would be, who's going to do the fighting? Who is going to deliver the land to the Hebrews? God's going to do it. God's going to be the one that's going to provide the impetus to, to have this people take over. God's going to do it. He goes on in verse 27 and says, I will send my terror before you. Verse 28, I will send hornets before you. Uh, some people have wondered, is, are these literal hornets or are these figurative hornets? Um, I definitely recall an experience when when I was chased by hornets. It is not pleasant. It would certainly make me clear the land uh, in a hurry. But however figuratively or literally, verse 29 says, I'm not going to drive them out before you in just one year lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Verse 30, it's so interesting. It says, little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. There were so much, there was so much there for the taking that they weren't able to take it. God literally had more blessings than they were equipped to, to uh, receive. Um, they could not assimilate all the land that God had designed for them to have. They could not assimilate all the resources that God was going to uh, give to them. Uh, so he says, little by little, I'm going to drive them out until you have increased and possessed the land. Verse 31, it says, I'll set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the Euphrates. In other words, sets out the boundaries from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, which would be on the western shore, from the wilderness in the south to the river Euphrates in the north. Those are the boundaries. Verse 32, make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. And we see that, of course. Now, one of the things that um, we know is that the, the full extent of those boundaries um, was not realized until uh, in David and Solomon's day. And then it was only like that for a little while. But one day... It's going to be for sure. So having gone through this passage, um, it made me 
think that this is a, a great passage that tells us, you know, how did God work back then? You know, what was his method? So we've gone through it. I want to go through it again and and kind of pull out some high spots. And if we think about how did God work in the old covenant? How did God work for the people of Israel back then? It says that he provided a presence, a guidance, some protection. If you look at verse 20, it says, Behold, I sent an angel before you to guard you on the way to bring you to the place that I prepared. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to, I'm going to guard you. We saw that, you know, he's going to fight for us. So God provided that presence for them. He also made some promises to them. He says, I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to bless your bread and your water. I'm going to give you health. I'm going to make you uh, fruitful and multiply. I'm going to give you longevity. So I'm going to take sickness away from you. This is in verses 25 in the neighboring verses. And it says, what else? He's going to deliver territory. He's going to deliver blessings. We talked about, you know, little by little, he's going to drive them out. He's going to give them blessings. And then what did he desire? It all wraps up the whole section, wraps up with his, you know, where is worship. It's not to those other gods. We know that he wants the worship for himself. So the the thought question would be, all right, if God under the old covenant did that, how does God work under the new covenant, right? Same God, but better rules. It is a new and Hebrew says a better covenant so how does this work now uh, we're getting ready to talk about the tabernacle and Hebrews tell us the tabernacle is just just a shadow of what's going on in heaven so could it be that the way that God worked in this passage and, and what we find from that is just somewhat of a shadow of how he works now in a new and better way and I think it is so um, as God provided the angel for those folks who do we have do we have someone gives us his presence gives us guidance gives us protection well yeah I mean the Holy Spirit someone called it out yes John 14 in the verses verse 16 and following Jesus says, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. He will be with you forever. You'll know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So we have this guide, this comforter, this protection. We have God in the form of the Holy Spirit in us. Do we have promises? Do we have a promised land to look toward? Do we have something to hope for? Yes. There's a section in Romans where Paul just goes on and on. And just like the, the work of Exodus and the plagues uh, talks about God's power over creation. And in essence, this new promised land is a redemptive attempt to recreate the promised land that Adam and Eve had back in the Garden of Eden. You know, Paul says... You know, there's a, even a new and a better thing waiting, and, and, and creation waits to be redeemed. In Romans it says, I consider the present sufferings 
aren't worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Verse 19, it says, For the creation waits with eager longing. Verse 20, The creation was, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. Verse 22, it says, The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What's the now? The now is Jesus. Everything that has happened, the fall, the flood, the exodus, the promised land, the rebellion, the captivity, the return from captivity, all of that has been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now because we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. This is the first fruits of this new day that's going to happen. And then he wraps up, and hope is there so many times. In this hope we were saved, verse 24. We hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So, so yes, we were promised something. And what do we have now? Do we have things now? Yes. Ephesians 1 is all about the blessings that we have now, in addition to the blessings that we're going to have, this future inheritance. We already have the Holy Spirit, but there is more to come. And Paul wraps it all up in Ephesians, moving very quickly from what we have to worship. In Ephesians 1, 12, it says, We who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In verse 14, it says, He's a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory it was all about worship just like the people of Israel if they looked ahead from the life that they were living before Moses came and before God delivered them what were their expectations they had 400 years of history to look back on could they anticipate just being like their parents, being slaves, being in Egypt, the cycle of life would continue? Did they have a lot to look forward to? No, but now they're out of Egypt. Now they're on the mountain. Now God's telling them, you've got hope for a better tomorrow. Is there going to be work along the way? Of course, there's going to be work along the way. But did they see God work through them? And did they see God provide for them? Yes. They wanted to turn back sometimes. God blessed them by not allowing them to turn back. You know, do we get faint of heart sometimes? Of course. They had festivals to be reminded of who God was. We just thought about the different festivals. And it was to remember, I am the God that brought you out of Egypt. I am the Redeemer for you, right? There were better days ahead. God seems to be saying there are better days ahead. Well, what are our expectations of life? Well, we don't always know what to expect, but do we have hope? Yes, we just got through reading where Paul says, you've had so much hope. Is there work along the way? Yes. But do we see God bless us and change us? Yes. 
Do we see it happen in the blink of an eye? No. What was the passage from before? Little by little. Little by little, God is working on us. He is sanctifying us. That is, in essence, the reclaiming of this territory that was previously in enemy hands. He's, you know, where we made new all at once, of course, spiritually. We have the righteousness of Christ from the time we're saved. But are we perfect yet? No. That's this whole now and not yet thing with Christianity. But there is work along the way as we're moved to this promised land. Do we still have guidance? Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. Do we still get to worship? Yes, we still get to worship. And are we still being pulled toward the future? Yes, I think God wants our faces forward, looking to what He can do for us. Same God. The New Covenant, same God that was back in the Old Covenant. And we can be so grateful that we get to live under the New Covenant with better rules, better blessings, and even a better future.